Today we continue our sermon series, Hebrew 101. Seven words every Christian needs to know. And today's word is ruach, which means breath or spirit or sometimes wind. Now this pandemic has certainly underscored the significance of breathing. Our text for today's sermon comes from Psalm 51, a great penitential prayer. I invite you to listen for God's word. You desire truth in the inward being, therefore teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? And so, dear God, we come once again to hear your word. We ask that you would speak to us now and quiet within us any voice but your own, that we may receive what you have for us this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Back in the story of creation in Genesis, God fashions humanity from the ground and then breathed into the nostrils the breath of life. Ruach. I mean, the language is that of intimacy and closeness made in God's image, breathing by the borrowed breath of God. Human life depends on God in every moment. We simply become abundantly aware of that fact when we come to the limits of what's humanly possible. When all that secures our lives is stripped away. The word ruach, breath, it's used 10 times in that familiar text from Ezekiel 37. Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And thus says the Lord, the Lord God, to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath, ruach, in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. It's a remarkable image of resurrection and new life. Now, the word ruach in Hebrew is translated as pneuma in the Greek, from which we get the word pneumonia. It's what's unleashed on Pentecost when the Spirit gets a hold of the disciples and they speak in all these different languages. And our text today in Psalm 51 is one of only two references in the Jewish scriptures, or the First Testament, or Tanakh, or the Old Testament, where the word Holy Spirit is used. It reads in Psalm 51, Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. But I'm really most interested today in the 10th verse. 
Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new right spirit, Ruach, in me. This is a prayer that's often used during Lent. It's a prayer for forgiveness, but also for renewal. You know, many prayers for help simply say, change my situation so I may praise you. But this prayer says, change me. I'm the problem. This is just like the prayer of the second person in Luke 18 who prays simply, God be merciful to me, a sinner. It was at the conclusion of a grueling handball match when my doubles partner began to tell me his life story. And frankly, I wasn't too interested. My body was simply looking for a place to sit down and rehydrate. An hour and a half of handball is a total body workout and it requires replenishment. But if I was sending any cues at all, he wasn't picking them up. And so I listened. Knowing I was a pastor, he was determined to share his story. Raised with alcoholic parents and a mother who he described as a raging alcoholic with fits of anger that sent him to the hospital on at least five different occasions. He too became an alcoholic and a drug user. Showed me the scar on his shoulder where his mother hit him so hard with a wooden hanger that it broke and pierced his skin and the muscle beneath it. His mother made both her son and the father promise that they would tell the ER docs that he fell. It's just classic codependent behavior for an alcoholic. After serving as a Marine during the Vietnam War, Reuben experienced post-traumatic stress syndrome and he descended into alcoholism and drug addiction. Several times he tried to change his life, including at church, but the disease of alcoholism had, it, had him in its grip, pulling him down until he was no longer drinking from the bottle, but it was drinking from him. For two years, he lived under the bridge on the 101 freeway, homeless, wandering the streets of L.A., as so many do today. It's too dangerous to sleep at night, so sleep deprivation is a regular occurrence, and it couples with nutritional deficits because you eat whatever you can find or afford or someone might give you. And then dehydration, because alcohol dehydrates the body even as you drink, and it left him quite mentally impaired. He hated God for the way his life was turning out. He hated the world, and he hated himself most of all. High and hungry and broke, he began to panhandle for something to eat. He looked so disheveled downtown L.A. that nobody offered him anything, and he finally sat down on the curb broken and desperate. And then something miraculous happened. A child, a young girl about seven or eight years old, emerged from a car with a sack lunch, her sack lunch, and she offered it to him. And the car was her mother. 
Reuben declined the offer, unable to accept a schoolgirl's lunch, thinking he'd come to that point in his life. The young girl returned to the car, and then the mother emerged with a Tupperware container with rice and beef, and she insisted that he take and eat it. And in that moment of kindness, as that food nourished his body, he realized that there is such a thing as unconditional love. He had glimpsed it in the eyes of that child and her mother. And in that moment, he realized that God had not left him alone, that God was still there waiting for him to quit blaming everyone and everything else for what was wrong with his life. Reuben no longer hated God and the world, just himself. He realized for the first time on that curb, I'm the problem. So he called his pastor who spent some time with him and got him into a detox center for two weeks. It was a lock unit at the hospital. And then he joined Alcoholics Anonymous and he began to climb out of the hole that he was in. And 22 years later of sobriety, he was my partner in a handball match and I was hearing his story at the end of that match. And he concluded the story by saying, God works miracles every day. He's in the business of miracles. And you know, this pastor who's seen enough and heard enough through the years to know that that's true, still needed to be reminded that the Lord is able to cleanse what is unclean, to heal what is broken, to, to restore what's so badly disfigured that you hardly recognize it as a human being. You know, almost a year ago, David Brooks, writing in the New York Times, wrote an article entitled, Pandemics Kill Compassion Too. And it was subtitled, You May Not Like Who You're About to Become. He begins the article with, quote, Some disasters like hurricanes and earthquakes can bring people together, but if history's any judge, pandemics generally drive them apart, end quote. After describing what happened in a London epidemic in 1665 and then what happened in the 17th century in Venice and one in the 19th century in Naples, Brooks then turns to the Spanish flu in America in 1918. And he writes, quote, As conditions worsened, health workers in city after city pleaded for volunteers to care for the sick. For the sick. Few stepped forward. End quote. And this explains one of the puzzling features of the 1918 pandemic. Because when it was over, people didn't talk about it. There were very few books or plays written about it. Roughly 675,000 Americans lost their lives to that flu, and yet it left almost no conscious cultural mark. And then he writes, perhaps it's because people didn't like who they had become. In her 
1976 dissertation, A Cruel Wind, Dorothy Ann Pettit argues that the 1918 flu pandemic contributed to a kind of spiritual torpor, apathy, afterwards. People emerged from it, she writes, physically and spiritually fatigued. The flu, she writes, had a sobering and disillusioning effect on the national spirit. A year after reading that article, that language seems very descriptive of what we are and who we've become. Physically and spiritually fatigued with a sobering and disillusioning effect on the national spirit. Who can deliver us? Who can breathe new life into us? Where can we go to receive a new heart and a right spirit within us? The Oxford English Dictionary defines spirit as the animating or vital principle in humans and animals, that which gives life to the physical organism. In contrast to its purely material elements, the breath of life, end quote. So like in the creation account, and like in Ezekiel 37, and like in Acts of the Apostles at Pentecost, God has once again breathed new life into creation through the Holy Spirit. An animating or vital principle which gives life to physical organisms. <clears throat> so what was the most life-giving day in your experience? What experience in your life produced more of that animation of a vital principle of who you are than any other? Or put it, put it this way. You've all heard the saying, life is measured not by the number of breaths we take, but by the moments that take our breath away. Have you ever experienced something so wonderful that it took your breath away? I've known a few experiences like that. Watching my wife Lynn walking down the aisle of the sanctuary on her father's arm on our wedding day, knowing she was freely choosing to enter into a lifelong commitment with me, that, <laughs> that took my breath away. Experiencing the birth of our three children, I felt as if I'd stopped breathing for some time in the miracle of those moments. talking with my father as he lay dying. I felt I was experiencing something somehow terribly wonder-filled. All my senses were on high alert in those moments. In fact, I would say that in each and every circumstance I just described, I felt a sense of wonder and awe, something unexpected, something undeserved, something unsolicited came into my life and it gave me new life. I, I've watched sunsets and sunrises that took my breath away. Not only because of the sheer beauty of the landscape, but because of my growing knowledge and appreciation of the artist. I have pictures of my tent 
perched high above a cloud bank in the Rocky Mountains, camping at 12,000 feet with only my tent, the mountaintops, and the heavens visible in the picture. I've watched the stars. I've seen the northern lights. I've felt my own insignificance in the universe, and it's left me speechless. And then I've had the privilege of helping hundreds of couples begin their life together in marriage. And I've baptized numerous children and adults, and I've celebrated the lives of hundreds of saints who've passed from this life into the life to come. I've served communion to many who were receiving much more than bread and wine. In worship, I've observed others who engaged God in such a way that it brought them to tears of relief and joy as they prayed silently in the pew. And I've opened my own heart and my own life to the Lord Jesus Christ, experiencing forgiveness in the deepest parts of my soul and a new kind of breath from heaven entered my frame, the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, sometimes it's in the darkest times that God's presence is often most known. When one comes to the end of what's humanly possible, we can and we will find ourselves lifted up, sustained by the very breath of God. The extent of the grace of God is experienced only where the true depth of sin is grasped. But yet, though sin is shown to be wide and deep, thank God his grace is wider and deeper still. Ruach. Almighty and eternal God, you are hidden from our sight, beyond the understanding of our minds, yet you have breathed your spirit into our lives. You've formed our minds to seek you. You've made us restless for a rest that is in you and planted a hunger and a thirst within us that makes us dissatisfied with all the joys of earth. Oh Lord, breathe life into us once again. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.